Roger Green, host of the Surfing the National Tsunami podcast. Today, we are offering four conversations from episode 33. Our discussion with Sven Frank and Ian Rowe about some of the most important findings from the Diesel Congress 2023, plus a vault episode addressing a similar topic after last year's ILC, or International Liver Congress, the one now known as the Diesel Congress. This conversation and the next two focus on presentations or posters one of the panelists finds completely important or compelling. Ian Rowe goes first, sharing a paper from Vincent Wong about using automated fibrosis score calculations with chronic reminder messages to identify and track patients with type 2 diabetes at increased risk of liver disease who are treated not in hepatology practices, but in primary care. 30% of the intervention group were referred to specialist care versus 3% in the control group in the study. Ian suggests that this study proves both the value of working to identify more patients and the considerable amount of work left to do in this area. The rest of this conversation considers the implications of the study for treatment for primary care, an important and challenging piece of today's clinical care pathways and the future of patient care, with Jorn Schottenberg having some particularly relevant comments to make. Our entire key opinion leader and advocate team has been struck forcibly by how many studies provided significant advances in knowledge and how some of these advances might change our underlying understandings of drugs, diagnostics, artificial intelligence, machine learning, basic science, and clinical pathways in patient treatment. It's been quite a lot to digest and very exciting to consider. So sit back, listen, learn, enjoy. And when you're done, join the dialogue on our LinkedIn discussion group. And again, join us next week. Ian, pick us something you want to take us to. Ian Rowe. Well, why don't we go to identification of patients in non-hepatology practice from Hong Kong? That seems like a good place to start. I guess to follow on from the nomenclature, we've hepatology have spent, well, lots of years, 50 years, making what is very straightforward medical practice usually look very difficult, like it has to be done in specialist centres. And the reality, <laughs> I can see Sven and Jorn, I hope, smiling, but we have to make it more straightforward to translate it into the primary care setting, which is where you know the need of patients is currently not being met, certainly in disease identification. And I guess that this trial that was presented by Vincent Wong is, is one step to do that. So this was about using automated fibrosis score calculation and then electronic reminder messages to identify patients with type 2 diabetes who are at increased risk of having clinically significant liver disease. And this follows quite a lot of pathway work, a lot of which has come from the UK, but set in a, in a trial context. So randomized controlled trial between or in five general medical diabetes clinics in Hong Kong and Malaysia with patients individually randomized to fibrosis scores, FIB4 and APRI uh, versus routine care, which is essentially no fibrosis testing, and then looking to see whether those patients went on to receive appropriate care. Now, the appropriate care is referral for or hepatology care or further specific fibrosis assessment. And I think that it's an interesting intermediary step, but it's still some way away from a clinically important endpoint. And perhaps not that surprisingly, if you do automated testing for fibrosis scores, then you find more people who've got elevated scores. And it was a lot more, you know, so instead of finding there were 130 in the control group, or so there were 130 in the control group with elevated scores, but very few of them were actually referred into specialty practice, 3%. Now in the intervention arm, it was still relatively low to still 30% of patients were being referred into specialty practice, hepatology care or further fibrosis assessment, meaning that two thirds weren't despite repeated fibrosis, despite fibrosis testing and repeated electronic reminders. Prevalence of advanced disease was really pretty low, as you might expect. It was estimated at 2% in the intervention group, but that included all patients who had a fiber scan of more than 10 kilopascals, which in terms of a low risk, low prevalence population will probably be an overestimate of true disease. So it's the first 
first step to looking at how this might actually be done in a pragmatic way using automated calculation of scores and electronic reminders to try and get the right patients into specialty practice. The gap between that and getting all of those patients to be seen in hepatology services is still quite big. So there's still a lot of work to be done in these pathways to try and find those patients who we think really need to be seen so that in time um, they can receive appropriate treatments. So I think it's a good start. It's the right sort of study to be doing. It's done in a trial framework to really estimate what the benefits of these approaches are or will be, but it shows us that we've still got lots of work to do. Sven Frank. I found it also a very, very interesting study and enlightening. The fact that it's also with a trial design makes the information, I think, very, very valuable. What struck me a little bit was not just the fact that only one out of three patients with a higher score was effectively referred for further testing, but in the end, from those that were referred for further testing, only very few were positive in the end with, with the second line test of, if I remember well, it was liver stiffness uh, measurement that, that was done as uh, at the hepatology uh, practice for assessing the degree of fibrosis. So it's challenging a little bit the approach based on scores and, and here the, the fibroscan was situated in hepatology practices. If so many patients are referred to hepatology practice, but in the end, so many come back with a negative result, then probably we should think about what the appropriate strategy is and where second-line testing, first-line testing should be performed. I think the message was a little bit double in my interpretation. You have a huge proportion of patients that should have a second-line testing, never get a second-line testing. But the second-line testing and the hepatology referral comes back with very few patients that are, let's say, true positive as far as can be judged on the liver stiffness measurement. So it's it's difficult to find the right balance there and to to have the the message right that comes out of this study but it's a very interesting study and the randomization trial design i find it very i find it fantastic to 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 see those results coming from such a more robust trial uh, design Jörn Schattenberg. I, ju- I just pulled up the abstract again, and I, and I agree with both Ian and Sven. It's it's very interesting. I think the very low rate of greater 10 kilopascal or cirrhosis is reflective of a pretty broad population. You know, this is not a loads of patients with above 10 kilopascal outside of specialist care. The one thing that you could say, Sven, is that we've linked FIP4 to outcomes. So in particular, in the high FIP4 category, liver outcomes. But I remember a number of analyses that also looked at the intermediate stage for like cardiovascular and not necessarily liver, but all-cause mortality increase. So if we take a step back and say we use FIB4 and we just want to preventively manage these patients, that's probably a good thing for the system. It's not the liver doctor is probably the or most urgently needed, but I think you could take an approach like that. And then the second thing is I think if we have therapy at one point, the granularity of picking up those patients will be higher. Then physicians will start to do more workup instead of offering on the uh, uh, intervention in so little patients. I think those two thoughts uh, come to my mind. There are probably two things uh, what I don't remember exactly from Vincent's presentation, but I think it was an unselected population, mainly in general practice or in, in part in diabetes, diabetes clinics, but also in general practice, which means that the, in general practice, there's probably no pre-selection on risk factors, which could probably explain that in the end you have 
many patients with, with high scores that do not really have advanced liver disease. I agree, obviously, with what you say on, on the FIP4. And the problem a little bit is that we have indeed linked with uh, FIP4 with, with outcomes, and you have the big studies from Hannah Sackstrom clearly showing that. But on an individual level, you still have a problem with the interpretation of the FIP4 because also in his studies he clearly pointed out that many of the patients with deleterious outcomes in terms of liver disease never had elevated FIP4s and there were several patients with elevated FIP4s that never had a liver event. So if you have big numbers of patients, yeah, that levels out inter-individual variability and it tells you something. But on the individual level, it's still very difficult to have a, a precise prediction of what is going on with the patient and what the, the future of the patient will bring, I think. Good point. And I think that this really is the difference between hepatology personalized medicine practice and the management of a population level disease. So this, the same is absolutely true, as you say, for risk stratification for cardiovascular diseases. The vast majority of events occur in patients who are at relatively low risk and who don't receive preventative medicines. And even among the higher risk population, many of those will, won't go on to develop events. So we need to think about how, as, as hepatologists, we want to, to practice. We will never have a test that will provide a risk of future liver-related events where it's 10, 20 years hence that will be 100% accurate. So we will need to embrace this sort of risk-based approach and accept that that will miss some patients and that they'll continue to present with complications. It's a, it's a real tension, I think, between the way that we've always practiced in our specialty centres and the reality of, of looking after a population disease. Roger Green. So Ian, the statistician in me says that the right answer to that is triangulate, by which I mean, we know that FIP4 is not a great test. We know that the less enriched the population is, the better it does, but it misses positives, which means it's going to miss both ways. It just misses a lot more in one direction than the other. We like it because it's cheap. We like it because it's easy to compute. But as NITs come into play, we should be able to find a combination of a couple of things or a single composite test that has multiple elements in it that does a better job of getting frontline positive and negative prediction in place. The challenge there is going to be that it's going to be expensive. So we're going to have to figure out how we want to deal with those costs and what the cost of missing a patient is. Um, but I'll come back to that when we talk about one of the papers I wanted to talk about today. I think that where the hepatologists have it over primary care is sophistication of treatment and an understanding of the different underlying elements make it possible for the specialty to triangulate and propose a multi-element solution that will work. Now, getting payers to pay for it and primary care to adopt it might be a different story, but it's not realistic to think that one test will do a fantastically good job of resolving all the various issues at once. Oh, no, I, I agree with that. And I think the other big question that we haven't yet tackled is frequency of testing in primary care. You know, so the pathways that we're beginning to see are, you know, these are essentially cross-sectional analyses of looking for advanced disease or advanced fibrosis or whatever it is that they're looking for, depending on the pathway in question. And then the question comes is how frequently they need to be repeated, because if we're talking about one or then multiple tests, then the cost will build up quickly. If you particularly if you're doing them, you know, the ASLD guideline is suggesting really quite frequent testing, which I think will be a struggle in the real world. I think we'll see some more data from the European consortia. There's both the liver screen consortium and there is now, I hope in the near future, uh, EU consortia, which Sven and I, among others, are participating, which we're going to generate more evidence, also looking at general and selected population. So it's not an easy question to answer. I mean, maybe the MET-ALD, again, is something that if we want to really make a difference for liver endpoints, is something that we can focus on a little bit more. And there, the nomenclature probably helps us also. I think I agree with everything you just said. Each, each individual piece, I think I agree with, which is fantastic and unusual. So that's great. And now back to Roger. 
We hope you've enjoyed this recording. If you have any questions or comments about the content of this conversation or the entire episode, please put them in the review section of the page from which you downloaded this conversation or send an email to questions at surfingnash.com. Next week, we'll be back with Stephen Harrison and Mazen Nordin to discuss more of the major drug development stories of the two sessions. Until then, stay safe, surf on, and we'll see you on the podcast. Bye-bye now. <laughs>